you know what? I'd like to see uh, more consistency in our game. I'd like to see a little bit more secondary scoring. And, uh, you know, when I think we, if we can start to do that, and, and of course, you know, get our power play going where it's, I think it should be up in the you know, top five or six. I think that's, we, you know, there's things we need to work on, but every year, you know what, there's things to work on. Every year there are things to work on. That was Mark Hunter actually a couple of weeks ago. And the thing that the London Knights were looking at right there was finding a way to be consistent every single night. And now as they come off two games in which they did not win either one, it is back to the how do we play more consistently? How do you take the formula that you used against Guelph, the way you played against Guelph? Now, a lot of things factor into it. Flint and Erie play the game very differently from the Guelph Storm, but the Knights end up with two of their most complete games and two wins over the Storm, and then two losses, one to the Flint Firebirds 7-4 and one to the Erie Otters 4-2. And now the Knights get set to go on the road for three, and we're going to break down the two games that didn't go right. We are going to be talking about Brett Brochu's debut in the ECHL. It has finally taken place. Took a couple of months, but he was in the net and performed very well. And we're going to look at some movement that has started in the Ontario Hockey League. Some moves that have been made that have bolstered the Saginaw spirit even more than they were already bolstered. They are the hosts of the 2024 Memorial Cup Tournament, and you can expect them to keep on bolstering. But the question will be, what happened against Flint? What happened against Erie? And we're here to talk about both of those things. Mike Stubbs and Kyle Grimard with you. Episode 87 of the Night Shift. You can find Kyle on socials at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. You can find me at Stubbs980, two Bs in Stubbs. And Kyle, the coaching staff, no doubt, set to try and figure some things out as the Knights prepare for three straight games in three days in three different cities. But before we go there, let's go back to what Mark Hunter had just said. He talked about wanting to see more consistency, needing more secondary scoring, and wanting to see the power play at that point, which was in a bit of a drought, climb to fifth or sixth in the OHL. Should we break out the checklist? Yeah, well, I mean, let's break it out. I mean, you know, the one thing obviously everyone's going to look at in bold letters is the fact that the Knights came away with back-to-back losses, and that was just only for the second time all season long. But there were some things in that clip, Mike, that Mark alluded to that technically did happen. One of the things was he wanted to have a top five power play in the OHL, and despite the two losses over the weekend, their power play climbed if they're not fifth or I believe they're sixth right now in terms of all of the Ontario Hockey League. So that's getting up there. And they started getting some scoring from some secondary pieces about the lineup. One of the big guys who had a big weekend, Mike, was Jacob Julian. He had three goals in two games, and he would be a guy that you'd look to as being one of those players to provide secondary scoring. Absolutely. So three goals in two games. He had two of the four on the Friday night against Flint. And then in Erie, he had another one of the goals. Ruslan Gazazov, Sam Dickinson, Kasper Haltonen scoring. Kasper Haltonen's a guy who you're counting on to score, and he did that. Defensive zone stuff. That's where things will be focused, I think, beginning this week, where you look at what broke down in that man-to-man coverage that the London Knights have been using. Because the Flint Firebirds scored six goals, 
and then an empty netter. Erie only had three, but there were just moments where things just didn't work out. And, and sometimes they were funny little things. The high flip that led to the second goal by the Flint Firebirds. Uh, the first goal was a turnover in the London zone where a forward just isn't able to get a puck that's coming off the boards and it winds up going to Flint. That high flip takes a funny hop. That's why you do the high flip. Pucks aren't round. They're going to bounce weird ways and you try and count on that to work in your favor every once in a while worked for Flint. And then the Firebirds just, they just kept coming and their speed, their speed seemed to be causing problems for the Knights in the defensive zone. And so that was something that the Knights certainly were looking to in Erie because Erie's the same sort of team and they did a better job in the defensive zone against the Erie Otters on Saturday night. And it was the Malcolm Spence and, Terry Tarrant's hookup that happened twice that led to two of those Erie Otters goals. But just every once in a while, there are those games where you start flat-footed, and that leads back to that word that Mark Hunter used off the top, consistency, and every team in every sport's chasing it. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that if you can start getting consistent outputs uh, at, at maybe the middle part towards the end of the season. It's it's that timing thing that eventually leads into the playoffs where you've kind of fine-tuned a lot of things. But we mentioned on the last episode before the weekend, Mike, you know, these are two teams that were, yeah, you saw their their records and they were 500 teams or just above 500, but you, you can get caught because they've got a lot of veteran presence and guys who've been in the league before. And if you're not careful – you know, they could sneak up and, and do some damage. And we saw that in back-to-back games to the Knights on the road. Dylan Hunter, Knights assistant coach, pointed to that start that they had against Flint almost automatically when we talked about the game. Uh, I mean, they came out hard, came to work. I don't think we were ready to match their speed. Um, they got a good top line, good older players, give them an inch, and uh, they'll find their open space. And defensively, what does that do to you when you've got guys who are coming at you like that and have the little veteran tricks that they all know? <laughs> I would put you on your heels. I mean, it was a good lesson for our guys. I don't think they were quite ready for the speed. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of, I don't want to say lazy, but just a little bit more taking an extra second to make a play, and, and they're right on top of you, and, you know, they'll turn that turnover into a scoring chance or a goal. That is Knights assistant coach Dylan Hunter and his thoughts on the start that the Knights had. And the Knights have said this throughout the year. They know there have been games when they haven't started well. It was happening on home ice early in the season. You think about Michael Simpson's debut, he made 19 saves. And immediately, you have the players knowing exactly what it is that needs to be corrected. You need to come out harder in that first period. You need to get that better start. So every team that has something like this happens, they know that this is what it is that they need to do, but if they had the answers as to why it's not happening, well, they'd put those answers on the ice. So this is trying to figure out how to get right off the hop, be ready for whatever that opposition is throwing at you. And Flint came out hard on the Friday night game, and they were full marks for what was a 5-1 lead. Knights got it back to 6-4, but they were just they were fighting uphill too much and there was too much of a climb and the other thing that happened in these two losses is you had the other team scoring first both times and you might think well look at how much hockey anymore how the the scores are at the end of the game hockey games are not 3-1-3-2-2-1 we see a lot of 5-4 we see 5-3 so there's a lot of goals that are scored in the game the number of goals scored in any game has climbed 
in the last few years. And in junior hockey, it's it's unpredictable. The number of goals that are scored can be pretty wild. 10-7 in some games. But that first goal is so key. And actually, Knights assistant coach Dylan Hunter talked about that. You get behind early and you can see the records from every team. If you don't score the first goal, it's 75%. You know, you're, you're not going to win that game. How crazy is it to think like that? Like games... Seriously, they end 5-3, 5-4, that first goal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, every coach always talks about that first 10 minutes, you know, starting on time, whatever you want to say. It's, uh, it's a crazy stat, uh, it, and it goes throughout all the leagues. doesn't matter if it's junior B, the O, or uh, in the NHL. That is Knights assistant coach Dylan Hunter. And so, yeah, you break it down, there are times in junior hockey where it is 75%. Overall in the sport of hockey, hockey graphs dot com has broken this down and they do a lot of different stats but they will look and they will say 67 percent of all winning teams score the first goal so they've got it at 67 percent Kyle that's two-thirds and you would think there's no way look at how much time you have usually after the first goal goes in if it's scored in the 10 first 10 minutes of a game you got 50 minutes to change the outcome but it changes the way that teams play and you are being forced to go we can call it uphill. Rick Stedman loves the line, go 200 feet. Make the team go 200 feet. Make them come through you. And when you have the lead, you're able to do that. And that's about as uphill as hockey can give you. And you're you're bang on about that and that the perspective of the game changed. Not only does it change the way your team plays, but it changes the way your opposition plays as well. And some teams all of a sudden get a boost in confidence when they score the first goal, when they get the lead. There are teams, Mike, that we have seen at the national level, at the junior level, they are built to play with a lead. They have the, the structure, the style, the coaching, the defensive systems that when they score first, they go into a specific mode or setup that makes life very difficult on your opponents. And a lot of teams have this because you gain confidence in your ability to then play your type of game because you've scored first and utterly at that point dictate the game. But it makes life a lot more difficult if you're trailing because now you've got to take more risks. You've got to take more chances. Your defensemen start pinching more. You start going to dangerous areas of the, of the ice and you leave certain areas exposed. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but when you break it all down, Mike, two thirds of the time, if you score first, you end up being the winning team is it's no accident. There's a reason behind it. And a lot of metrics go into it, but we saw it, the London, the London Knights trailing and fighting from behind in both games, and they can't find a way to claw back. Against Erie, they were being outshot 11-2. to two. And then, from that point on, they turned things around. They outshot Erie 15-3 to three for the next stretch of the game, ended up tying the game, and then Erie gets a goal, and, and they held the Knights off, and they just weren't able to to find a way through the Erie defense and Ben Godro. There were a couple of chances that they had that went right into Ben Godro. And that's just the way that it goes when you lose one game and then all of a sudden aren't winning in the next one. So now they get a chance to go north. They get a chance to go to North Bay, to Sudbury, to Barrie, and an opportunity to hang out as a team, do some of that bonding stuff. And we'll see what happens because North Bay is not an easy place to play. Sudbury is not an easy team to play against. They have a lot of high-powered offense. And Barry did just lose Bo Akey for the year. That's a big loss for them. He's out with a shoulder injury and now finished for the season. But this is a team that, again, plays tough 
in their building, and it'll be third game in three nights for the London Knights. So, Kyle, we sit with two losses for the second time this season. The last time the London Knights lost two straight, they regrouped and reeled off seven wins in eight games because the next game they faced, Ottawa. This time, they don't face Ottawa, but it'll have to be a North Bay jumping off point because the teams around them will not stop winning look at what kitchener continues to do the kitchener rangers this weekend won some more and they've now picked up seven wins in a row the saginaw spirit have made some trades we're going to talk about those trades in just a little bit they have reeled off seven victories in a row and then you look at the crunch in the western conference it's pretty wild right now saginaw has climbed into fourth place and they'll keep climbing that start that they had we discussed it it's hard to be the memorial cup host you have a lot hanging around your neck once you learn to deal with it and you do then all of a sudden you become the team who you are and this is who the Saginaw spirit are they're a very good team they're not going to win out the rest of the way but they're going to win a lot of games but right now between fourth place and eighth place is two points. That's how crunched together everybody is there. The Knights and the Greyhounds sit with 27 points, tied for essentially the second best record in the Western Conference. And then the Kitchener Rangers are 16-5 and five to start this year. They've got 32 points. And they were a team that maybe was thinking about moving players, getting some younger players for some of their older veterans. I don't think they're thinking like that. And an interesting trade took place this week Kyle, where the Saginaw Spirit and the Windsor Spitfires got together. Saginaw's making some of these preemptive moves that you'll see at this time of year. And so Saginaw winds up acquiring Alex Christopoulos and Rodwin Denisio. So Alex Christopoulos scored 49 goals. He could be considered a 50-goal scorer. He's that kind of guy. He scores goals. He started this year injured. And they get Rodwin Denisio, and he's somebody who will make the most amazing plays sometimes you have to put up with sometimes when he gets himself out of position making amazing plays but is this guy ever an athlete and he will cause fits for opponents of the Saginaw spirit and Windsor gets back Roberto Mancini and Valentin Jugan and draft picks there's the key for the Windsor Spitfires their draft cupboard is as bare well it's it's as bare as anybody's but it would lead the league right now in picks that they are missing between now and 2027. So they've recouped a couple of those, and that's what Windsor needed to do. And Windsor did give up a few picks to get Owen Outwater, but they're just trying to fill out their roster. They're having some trouble winning. But those are some interesting trades. Saginaw winding up getting Alex Christopoulos, who's a goal scorer, Roddy Denisio, who can be a, a game breaker at any time. He can play defense. He can play forward. And the other really interesting thing that Saginaw did they went out and they acquired Luca Del Bell Belouz. Luca Del Bell Belouz finished his junior career last year with the Sarnia Sting. So he finishes out. He's 19. He's a Columbus Blue Jackets draft pick. He's off to the American Hockey League. So why would the Saginaw Spirit pick up Luca Del Bell Belouz? He doesn't even play in the league. Well, just in case, who knows? The Cleveland Monsters have him on their roster right now. And Kyle, he's doing very well. He's got two goals and five points in seven games. And if you're producing like that, you're not looking at being sent back. But what if? What if? And so that's what 
we've seen here. The London Knights did it years ago with Sonny Milano. Sonny Milano, who plays for the Washington Capitals right yep. now, was property of the London Knights. Never played a game, but just in case he's sent back, he now wouldn't go to Sarnia. He would go to Saginaw, and the Spirit wind up giving up a, a conditional 15th round pick. So that would only become any kind of significant draft pick if Luca Del Belbelouz did return. But you pull out all the stops. So well, good on Saginaw for doing it. And that's it too, Mike, is it's a conditional 15th round. It does move up, obviously, if he ends up playing for them, but it's a very, it's a harmless move. It doesn't hurt them in the in the future. And if Luca Del Blues ends up going and playing for them, it's just an added bonus, gives them a big boost, and especially to being the host city for the uh, Memorial Cup. Obviously, they're going to make another move or two at some point down the line before the trade deadline. And I always, I find it funny, Mike, when teams trade within division. Of course, the West division there between the Spirit and the Spitfires, I, uh, it's just, it's, it's funny to see. It's something you, it, it'd be like looking at the London Knights making a move with Owen Sound, who I know Owen Sound, they're not very fond of the London Knights. There's a bit of rivalry between the two. It'd be like the Knights and the Rangers making deals. I know it's more common in the OHL, but it always just, it's a very funny feeling because of how often the teams play. You normally don't want to give a team you play six, seven, eight times a year, one or two of your better players when you've got to face them multiple times moving forward. You bet. Kyle, let's close the podcast today on a high note as we yes. talk finally about Brett Brochu's ECHL debut. Brett Brochu in the summer, and I still am waiting for the time when somebody can make the movie about Brett Brochu's life. As soon as he holds the Stanley Cup over his head, somebody can do that. <laughs> so Brett Brochu has battled for absolutely everything. Let's let's recap some stuff here. Yep. Brett Brochu, as a 16-year-old, was a draft pick of the London Knights and ended up playing Junior C. And that Junior C team, you can have 21-year-old players. They had a 21-year-old goaltender named Brendan Johnston, and he was going to be their number one goalie. And Brett Brochu started playing really well. And next thing you know, Brendan Johnson decided to go somewhere else. Brett Brochu took over and led that Dresden team to an excellent run. So then he comes in trying to be a backup for the London Knights. That was what it was. The number one job already had a veteran goalie in it. He was coming in to be the backup in 2019-2020. And Brett Brochu started playing so well, and an injury happened. He got an opportunity to start a lot of games, showed what he could do. Next thing you know, Brett Brochu is the number one goalie as a 17-year-old for a London Knights team that was top two in the league with the Ottawa 67s when everything shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He set a record that year for most wins by a 16 or 17-year-old rookie in the Ontario Hockey League. Pretty amazing. This guy still wasn't drafted by an NHL team. Made Team Canada. Played in a game at the World Junior Hockey Championship. Was in the running to maybe play more as a starting goaltender for Canada. That tournament gets shut down by COVID-19. Brett Brochu then goes undrafted once more. Then Brett Brochu suffers an injury, and then the next year suffers the same injury, essentially, to the other leg. There have been so many things going against him. He winds up signing with the Fort Wayne Comets of the ECHL, and he's still the third goalie because they had Francois Broussard and Tyler Parks on their roster 
after I think Parks was sent down from Bakersfield. And so there, there was no room at the inn for Brochu. Bides his time, doing a lot of community work. And then Francois Brassard gets injured. Brett Brochu gets a chance to get into the net and make his ECHL debut. And this gets even crazier, Kyle, because his and, and remember, he's already played a pro game because during the pandemic, he went and worked out with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins in the American Hockey League. And they allowed him to start the last game of their season, essentially. There were no playoffs that year because of COVID, but they had him start. So he's already started in a pro game. But here's his initial start. And you being a goalie, Kyle, I need to know what you would think of this. So the story is the Fort Wayne Black Snakes officially changed their name for a short period of time from Comets to Black Snakes. And as Brochu played for them, they were the Black Snakes. They did this as a tribute to Veterans Day and to the U.S. military because the Black Snakes are the 122nd fighter wing in the U.S. Army, and they welcome the arrival of F-16 jets. Um, they are are certainly a, a big part of the American military, and so that's why they were the Black Snakes for this game. So you have the Fort Wayne Black Snakes and the Wheeling Nailers. One team, Kyle, is wearing black. The other team is wearing dark gray, and you're the goalie. <laughs> Well, it's it's one of those situations where you think it's going to be a lot more of a factor or an issue than going in. But once you kind of get a sense after the first couple of minutes of the game, you kind of forget about it as a goaltender and you go on and you're able to differentiate between certain things. Again, normally the jersey wouldn't be what I what I paid attention to as a goaltender, especially if I was trying to key in on certain players. I watched I want to see what way they shot. I wanted to, I, I looked at what type of stick they used, but I don't think I've ever really made that an issue. I remember when I played uh, my one year of junior B when I was back in Burlington and we were the Halton Ravens and we had dark blue jerseys for our homes and we played a Toronto team. I think they were called the attack and they had a Jersey. It was their away Jersey, but it was white, but it had a lot of blue on it, which kind of blended in a little bit, especially with the way the boards were set up. And it's just something that you as a goaltender after a couple of minutes just phases out of you. Having said that, the black and gray is definitely a lot harder, I think, to differentiate than maybe blue and like a blue with a little bit of white. But the fact of the matter that he came in for his first game after an injury partway through the season already. And by the way, they won the game three to one. He makes 42 saves. And I know it's one game, but that is not nothing, especially for a coaching staff who has, they carry three goaltenders and he gets to come in and play like that. I'm sure that they've seen it in practice quite a bit, but now seeing it in a game format changes the way the coaching staff views a player. They view a situation. This could open up an opportunity for him to get more starts along the way. And like you mentioned, Mike, this is the Brett Brochu story. He comes in as the third guy or the player that's not getting the playing time. Something happens to someone who either gets injured or so a trade happens. He, take, he, he steps right in and all of a sudden he becomes the OHL rookie goaltender of the year, the OHL goaltender of the year. He was starting games for Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Everything life has thrown at this guy. He has found a way to overcome, persevere, and it doesn't matter 
how big the other goaltenders are. It doesn't matter their pedigree. Brett Brochu always finds a way to stand out on his own. And so far, the ECHL level and his first opportunity, he has done just that. Allowed an early goal, then shut the door. And you said it, Kyle, 42 saves and his very first victory in the ECHL. So we'll continue to follow the Brett Brochu story because I believe it has a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I want to see a happy ending for that guy. The London uh, Knights go looking to create something happier on their road trip. We'll line that up a little later on this week. North Bay on Thursday night, Sudbury on Friday night, Barrie on Friday night. Three games, three nights, three different cities, and a Western Conference that, as usual, won't stop winning. So you've got to win to keep pace. We'll see what the London Knights do on their northern swing. Should be a lot of fun, and we'll follow up, of course, by getting ready for those sets of games. If you want to listen into other episodes, go back and listen to Friday's or Thursday's show, sorry. Before the weekend games, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Just search Night Shift and follow myself and Mike on socials at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D, at Stubbs980, S-T-U-B-B-S. Mike, we'll see you later. Sounds good.